Hey everybody, good morning. How are you all doing this morning? Awesome. It's so good to see you all. Hey, if you're listening to us uh, for the very first time, I want to extend a huge welcome to you. You are so welcome here. No, my hide my Christian Thank you for choosing to share your Sunday with us this morning. Uh, well, I'm bringing the second to last uh, beatitude of our sermon series today, and it's the one that says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Amen. Amen. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you got into some drama with somebody, but it got so bad that you weren't sure if this was ever going to subside? You know, here in South Auckland, we call it beef. You ever get into a little bit of beef with somebody? Have you ever gotten into beef with anybody? No one wants to show their hands. Yo, we are real Christians in this service. Have you ever gotten into some beef with somebody and it's so bad, you're not sure if the peace is going to be restored? And many of you could probably, yes, thank you, Jared. Many of you probably could relate to this. But when I was growing up, there would always be some beef between first cousins or siblings, you know. One sibling would say one thing about the other sibling and now the other sibling is mad. Or one sibling would secretly wear the Kathmandu jacket of the other sibling and then the other sibling catches you with the light market. Or during a game of volleyball, the other sibling would spike the ball so hard that it's got the other sibling in the face and now they're, they're mad, they're angry. You can guarantee that it's about to go down when you get home. You know, for some siblings, it happens on site. We don't have to wait till we get home. We're doing this here right now. But you know what? Apart from all of that, one of the things that never ceases to amaze me is how we try to restore the peace. I don't know about you guys, but for me growing up, it was always awkward trying to make peace with your first cousins or your siblings. Not only was it awkward, but man, it was confusing. And here's what I mean. You know, sometimes after we've had good beef, some major drama, suddenly my sibling would appear at the bedroom door and they're standing there and they say to me, well, do you want to eat or not? <laughs> and I'm like, sorry? <laughs> well, do you want to eat or not? The food's getting cold. So instead of saying sorry, they say, do you want to eat or not? Hurry up the food. At that moment, I'm, I'm confused because just a minute ago, you let me and the whole neighborhood know that you wanted to send me back to Jesus. So I'm confused in this moment, but I get to the dining table, I sit at the dining table, and I'm nervously eating this food. It's great food, but it don't taste good because I'm nervous, I'm scared that you're going to turn around and resume where you last left off and let me know how mad you are at me. But here's the surprising thing. Suddenly, the beef is gone. The beef is done away with. Things are back to normal. The peace has been restored, but only for a little while because a few months later we'd have a beef and then you remind me again about that last beef that we had. And it makes it absolutely clear to me, yeah, there was actually no peace restored there. That was a false sense of peace. That was a fake peace. That was a forced kind of a peace. Have you noticed that when it comes to peace, it can be such an awkward and hard thing for us sometimes? Anything to do with peace is oftentimes so difficult to engage with, whether it's asking for forgiveness, whether it's seeking uh, reconciliation, whether it's having, having a difficult conversation, whether it's uh, seeking reconciliation, whether it's addressing an issue. Peace is not always easy. And so instead of engaging in biblical peace, we settle for the world's version of peace. Jeremiah 6.14 says, They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, Peace, peace, but there is no peace. 
Ezekiel 13.10, it is definitely because they have misled my people by saying peace when there is no peace. The world's version of peace is to ignore. The world's version of peace is to sweep things under the rug. The world's version of peace is superficial. It's a peace that's forced. It's a peace that is false. It's a peace that is up and down. It's a peace that's here today, but gone tomorrow. And so what do we do? In the midst of a culture and a society that says, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's encourage ourselves with the word of God. Take out your sermon notes and your apps. We're going to go to God's word. Upon studying this word peacemaker, I found so many things that we can actually glean from this word to help us unpack this beatitude and dive into it a little bit more. And so I'm going to unpack a couple of things that will be helpful for us in this beatitude. Firstly, peacemakers experience godly peace. The word peace is the Hebrew word shalom. It's the Greek word irene. It's a word that is so rich and deep in meaning. It means wholeness. It means completeness. It means well-being. It is this idea of being filled with inner rest, wholeness, and completeness, and being able to live life without deficiency or lack. Oftentimes, we view peace in a negative sense. We view peace as being the absence of something, having something removed. And so when we talk about peace, we always talk about it in a negative sense. We'd say, if we just had no more war in the world, then the world will be a peaceful place. Well, how do you explain a country that's not at war but still don't have peace? We'd say that conflict and disagreement are the reason that we don't have peace. And so if we just do away with conflict and do away with disagreement, then we'll have peace. Well, you might have a measure of peace, but it's not long-lasting peace. We even say things like, uh, uh, peace is the absence of stress or anxiety. And so we say, if I just didn't have this bill to pay, if I didn't have a mortgage, if I didn't have this weird job, and if I didn't have a mean boss, then I'd have peace. And some of us are shaking our heads because we've tried to remove some of those things, and we realize that even then, we end up with only a fraction of peace. And so that's not the kind of peace that the Bible is talking about when it says peace. Jesus said to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And so what we have is two types of peace. Jesus' version of peace and the world's version of peace. And the difference between the two is what they are born from, what each of these peace is born from. The peace that the world talks about is a peace that is born from external circumstances. The world's peace is based on what's going on around them. The world's peace relies on the atmosphere changing in order for you to have peace. It requires everything going good. It needs to have everything being calm with no threats, no risk, no anxieties and no dramas. And anybody can have that kind of a peace. You don't need to be a Christian to have that kind of a peace because it's a peace that's in your stuff. It's in your job security. It's in your wealth. It's in your credentials, it's in your academics, it's in your strength. It's a peace that relies on external stimuli. The problem with that kind of a peace is that when the external stimuli is nothing but drama and chaos and problems, it starts to affect you. So now you've got mood swings. Now you've got temper tantrums. Now you're depressed. Now you've got anxiety. Now you're full of worry. And all the devil has to do is mess with your stuff. Mess with your circumstance. Mess with your external stimuli in order to get a reaction out of you. You know that the devil was trying to get your job and your kids and your money and your wealth. He didn't need none of that. He's messing with the stuff to get to your peace. And so if your peace is in your stuff, 
When the devil gets busy with your stuff, he gets busy with your peace. I wish I had time to preach that, but we've got to keep it moving. The peace that God gives, though, is a peace not like the world's peace. It's a wholeness that only God can give. It's a completeness that only God can give you. It's a peace that's untouched. It's a peace that external circumstances can't get to. And so here's what the Bible says about the kind of peace that is available to us through God. Romans 5, 1, 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Also, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Philippians 4, 6, 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That's the daily reality of the peacemaker. They can be in the middle of tribulation, but have peace. Their circumstance and situation could change but their hearts and minds are guarded by the peace of God. And so they're able to live like that because they've got peace with God. What kind of a peace have you got? Have you got a godly peace or have you got a worldly peace? And you'll know which one you've got by the way that you respond to your external circumstances. You know, Jesus and the disciples were on a boat trying to get across the lake. There arose this great big storm, and so the water started to get into the into the boat where they were in. So the disciples rush on over to Jesus and they say, Teacher, do you not care for us that we're gonna, we're gonna perish here? Jesus gets up, he speaks to the waves and the and the wind, and he says, Peace, be still. Suddenly this calm came upon the wind and the storm and the waves. You see, worldly peace. Is the kind of peace that starts to panic and lose all sorts of hope when the storm begins to rise because it's dictated by the external circumstance. But godly peace is a kind of peace that will take a nap in the middle of the storm because it has confidence in God. It's a peace that's wholesome. It's a peace that is complete. It's a peace that is untouched by external circumstance. Peacemakers experience godly peace. Number two, peacemakers extend peace. The second half of that word peacemaker is the word maker, peacemaker. In other words, make peace. It's this idea that peace is what we do because peace is what we have. Because of the peace that we have from God, we are able to make peace with others. We are able to have peace in our circumstances. We are able to extend peace. Now this word peacemaker, it's not a passive term. It's an active term. It means that you are actively extending peace. You are actively giving peace. You are actively making peace. And it's important that you hear this because there's a difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Peacekeeping is passive. Peacemaking is active. Peacekeepers avoid conflict as much as they can. They sweep things under the rug. They walk on eggshells in order to not get anyone upset. Peacekeepers feel that it's their responsibility to make everyone around them happy. Peacekeepers are also devastated if other people get upset about them because their identity is in what others say about them. Peacekeepers will withhold the truth and they don't say how they really feel because they think that that's what's best for keeping the peace. Peacekeepers are like thermometers. They reflect the emotional and the spiritual temperature of the room. Even though they enter the room and they're aware that the atmosphere needs to change, Peacekeepers do nothing about it. 
They would rather enter the room and come under whatever is in the room as opposed to disrupt the peace. Oh, yeah. Peacekeepers will try to keep two parties apart at all times in order to prevent any conflict and thereby keep the peace. The fruit of peacekeeping is no peace at all. Peacekeeping only leads to resentment. It only leads to distance. It only leads to passive aggressiveness, hurt, and superficial relationships. The opposite of peacekeeping, though, is peacemaking. Peacemakers are committed to telling the truth. When they are offended or hurt, they communicate their feelings. Honestly, they speak the truth in love because they know that withholding truth will only create distance. It will never lead to intimacy. Peacemakers, they walk in forgiveness. When they have hurt others, they own their mistakes and they ask for forgiveness. When others hurt them, they forgive. They're quick to forgive. Peacemakers are also humble enough to pray for people that hurt them. Peacemakers pursue reconciliation at the risk of their own discomfort. Peace is something that you must pursue. It won't just happen. First Peter 3.11 says, seek peace and pursue it. Conflict will happen automatically, but peace must be pursued. And so the fruit of peacemaking is abounding peace, a real peace, the kind of peace that comes from God. And so the term peacemaker is not the passive acceptance of things, but the active facing of things. Where in your life are you choosing to be a peacekeeper when you are called to be a peacemaker? Where in your life are you choosing to passively accept things when you are supposed to actively face things. You need to know today that the kind of peace that the Bible calls blessed does not come from the evasion of issues. It comes from facing the issues. It comes from dealing with them. It comes from conquering them. It is not the passive acceptance of things because we're afraid of trouble, uh, of the trouble of doing something about them. But it is the active facing of things and the making of peace even when the way to peace is through struggle. There was a man by the name of Telemachus who lived in the 4th century and he was a monk. He felt God tell him to go to Rome. <clears throat> he was in a cloistered monastery. He put his possessions in a sack and he set out for Rome. When he arrived in the city, there was quite the uproar in the streets. And so he asked people, what was all of the, what's all, what's all of the excitement? What's going on here? And someone said to him, this is the day that the gladiators would be fighting and killing each other in the Colosseum. It's the day of the games. And so Telemachus thought to himself, four centuries after Christ, and they're still killing each other for enjoyment. How can this be? And so he ran to the Colosseum. He heard the gladiators saying, hail to Caesar. We die for Caesar. He thought to himself, this is not right. And so he jumped over the railing. He ran out into the middle of the field. He got in between two gladiators. He held up his hands and he said, in the name of Christ, forbear. Which basically means refrain or stop doing this. But the crowd in the Colosseum protested and they said, run him through, run him through. And so a gladiator came over, hit him in the stomach with the back of his sword. He went sprawling into the sand. He got up and he ran back again and he said, in the name of Christ, forbear. The crowd continued to chant, run him through, run him through. One gladiator came over and he plunged his sword through the little monk's stomach. He fell into the sand, which began to turn crimson of him with his blood. One last time he gasped out and he said, 
in the name of Christ, forbid. A hush came over the 80,000 people who were in that Colosseum that day. There was no, there was silence, there was not a noise. You could not hear a pin drop. But not long after that, a man stood up and he left the Colosseum. Not long after that, another man stood up and he left the Colosseum. Not long after that, another man stood up and he left the Colosseum. And more and more and more people began to leave the Colosseum. Within minutes, all 80,000 people who were in that Colosseum had emptied out of there. That was the last known gladiatorial contest in the history of Rome. Peacemakers extend peace. They actively face things, even if it means you're going to have to struggle to get to peace. Even if it means sometimes that you won't always succeed. Even if it means uh, peacemakers aren't always just peace achievers, but they're prepared to extend peace no matter how hard it may get. Not only does a peacemaker experience godly peace, they also extend peace. And so Jesus says, listen are the peacemakers they shall be called the sons of God. Number three, I want to unpack that phrase, sons of God. The blessing of the peacemakers is that they shall be called sons of God. Sons of God is a Hebrew way of expression. Hebrew is not really rich in adjectives, and so when it wants to describe something, it doesn't use an adjective, but it uses the phrase son of, and then adds an abstract noun. The term son means to be a partaker of the character of someone. For example, when Jesus sent the disciples on a mission, he told them to look for a house with a son of peace. In other words, look for the house of a man who is peaceful. Another example is when the Bible refers to Barnabas as a son of encouragement, it meant that he was an encouraging person. Therefore, to be called the son of God refers to someone who is reflecting the image of God. It refers to someone who is demonstrating the character of God. In the same way that Christ came to earth to reconcile people to God and people to one another, sons of God participate in the same ministry. 2 Corinthians 5.18, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Our participation in the reconciliation of people to God and people with one another, our participation in peacemaking puts on display the character and the nature of God. Let me ask you today, whose character do you reflect most when you're in the midst of chaos? Who do you look like when you're in the middle of the storm? Do you look more like Jesus or do you just blend in with the whirlwind of emotions and mayhem? When there's drama, do you look like a new creation who is in Christ Jesus, or do you look like your old your self? You see, the reward of peacemakers reminds us that those who continually participate in God-like peacemaking are truly born again. They are tru- truly children of God. You see, oftentimes, we make it about going to church. We think that as long as I'm going to church, that's enough of a reflection. You know, as long as that they know that I'm a Christian, that's enough, that's enough of a good reflection. We think that if we can shout and holler and clap our hands three times and spin and speak in tongues, we think that that's enough of a good reflection. But he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
so they shall be called sons of God. Church, you need to know today that every time you step into chaos and you contend for peace, every time you walk into a problem and you extend peace, every time you are confronted by circumstance and you actively face it in order to gain peace, every time you are caught in the middle of drama because you're committed to making peace, you need to know today that you are reflecting the character and the nature of God. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you take the peace and the salon and the wholeness and the completeness that you have into a world that it desperately needs it, you are bearing the image of God. You are reflecting the character of God. I'm speaking to all the peacemakers in the house this morning. You better know that whenever you turn up, peace turns up with you. Whenever you step into chaos, peace steps into chaos with you. Whenever you walk into dysfunction, peace walks into dysfunction with you. Whenever you run into drama, peace is right there with you. And it's not because of anything that you're saying or doing. It's not because you look cute or you look sly. It's not because of your social status or your social media following. It's simply because you're a peacemaker. Yeah. And peacemakers just can't help but reflect Jesus everywhere they go. Peacemakers can't help but step into their identity and who they are as they God. Peacemakers can't help but just display who they belong to. Peacemakers can't help but look like who they've given their allegiance to. And the best part about all of that is that Jesus calls it blessed. Amen. It's blessed because you're walking in the fullness of who God has called you to be. It's blessed because it flows from God himself. It's blessed because nothing in this world can take it away from you. Turn to the person next to you and say, are you blessed? Give them a good side eye, you blessed? Or can I stand in between you?
If you're here in the room this morning and you're saying, I'm not really sure that this peacemaking life is for me. Perhaps you're saying, I don't feel comfortable with this life that Jesus is calling me to live. Why do I have to be the one who walks across the room to seek forgiveness first? I asked that this morning. Why do I have to be the one who might get hurt for trying to bring peace to a situation? Why do I have to be the one who is the peacemaker? Well, the truth is, you don't have to be the one. But the choice is simply yours to make. And so here's what I want you to know. Count the cost. Count the cost. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to 25. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my, my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross. Follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, we will save you. Following Jesus is costly, man. Following Jesus' way is costly. Obedience is costly. Peacemaking is costly. Not only that, but Jesus didn't promise a life of just sunny days and butterflies and scented candles and roses. No, in fact, he said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Because I've overcome it. And so because he has overcome the world, me too will overcome. Please do other peacemakers. For they shall be called the sons of God. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. God, we thank you for your word that continues to challenge and encourage us. Father, I pray that we wouldn't just be a church who talk about peace or who love the idea and concept of peace. But God, may we be a people who are peacemakers, who are unafraid to step out, oh God, and reflect your character and your nature in our peacekeeping, peacemaking. We thank you, Lord, for using us. I pray, Lord, that you will continue to do a work in our lives and in our hearts. We love you, Lord. We honor you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on, what is the name of Jesus? Oh, Jesus.